Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hey, Darren. Hey, Dom. You're over in Australia visiting from New Zealand? Two Kiwis having a chat. Watch out. Uh Uh-oh, we might need a translator, as uh, some of our colleagues have uh, already mentioned to us. Took them no time. Yeah, exactly. They just need to try harder. So um, what's brought you over to Sydney? So over running accreditation for experience change and uh, with design thinking for experience innovation. Yeah, cool. So it's a huge topic, actually, the whole change management thing. And, And it really goes hand in hand with a lot of the stuff we do, you know, with culture work and all that stuff with organizations, change management. What I hear a lot, and I think you might have uh, had an opinion on this in the in the newspapers recently in New Zealand, yep. was this concept of change fatigue, right? So people talk about, you know, oh, we're fatigued from so much change. You know, we, we can't do it. It doesn't work, all that kind of stuff. What's your opinion on change fatigue? It's a pretty strong opinion. Yeah. Um, yep. I've go as far enough to say that change fatigue is bullshit. Yeah, right. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> I think they already have. <laughs> they have, yeah. We can uh, put a link to that article. Yeah, totally. So the reason I say it's bullshit is the fact that fatigue is something that we've done so much that we're so tired and we cannot go on anymore. Uh-huh. There's no vitality to it. There's no energy left, right? So, yeah. you know, we, we often ask folks, you know, that we're coaching around their LSI, what would you like to improve? Oh, my physical health. So mm-hmm. great. Yeah, let's do that. How could you do that? Oh, let's go to the, I'd like go to the gym. Did you like the gym? No. <laughs> so why would you do that? Yeah. So you become fatigued because I don't enjoy it. So the yeah, same thing right, around right. change, right? If we're implementing changes that don't work and are not done in a, an effective human-centered way, you're going to be fatigued. It's not the change itself. It's the way it's being done. Yeah, right. So, so it's not so much about the change, but the way companies are going about it that's fatiguing for people. Totally. And if you think, if you rationalize it, yeah. we've got 100 changes to implement and only 10 of them went well. We've got 90% of them that didn't realize their intended gains, which is about two-thirds of most change initiatives. Mm. I'm going to get sick and tired and fatigued of the poor change management that we deliver in our organization. It's not making a difference. So I become demotivated, right? Because we all know that number one human motivator, my effort makes a difference. Yeah. So we're going around in circles or, or getting no traction. Well, what's the point? So Totally. So, yeah. And it reminds me actually of the other one we hear all the time with what we do is survey fatigue. Yeah. Right. So, oh, we're so fatigued filling out these surveys like twice a year. Right. So it's not about filling out the survey. Let's be honest. We're talking half an hour, two times a year or however often it is. Mm. It's not genuine fatigue. No. But for the exact same thing that you're talking about with change fatigue, people are sick of filling out a survey and nothing happening with it or it not being used well. 100%. And I think it's very much similar with change that the follow-up is super important. So if you're going to ask for feedback or ask, hey, what problems do we have to solve around here that need changing? And if you don't circle back and close the loop, survey, change, leadership feedback, whatever it might be, you're better off not asking. Yeah. Because now you're setting people up with some level of hope and commitment for whatever that outcome is. And now you've gone away and taken that from them. So that's not going to be motivating at all. And you set up a bit of a precedent that this is how we do things around here. And that becomes a a cultural norm, right? So surveys Mm. don't work around here. Or agile doesn't work around here because Uh. we've been fatigued about all these things that just don't work. So we've got to stop and slow down to speed up and understand, Mm. well, what are the things that are contributing to our success? And we often do with organizations 
post-mortem work around change initiatives and let's break it down, deconstruct the change, mm. what has been working, what hasn't, and then do a pre-mortem. Mm-hmm. And we don't often, PhD in hindsight, post-mortem, right? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, right. That it's helped. been a disaster, but we learned something. Yeah. yeah. But then do we carry that through and do a pre-mortem about saying, what are the things that we're going to do differently to ensure that this change isn't another statistic like the road toll? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that carries forward. So on that, Darren, what are the kind of common reasons, I guess, that organizations, you know, aren't doing change well? What do you see coming up that's getting in the way of that motivation of creating that change fatigue? Yeah, good point. So what we see happening, first off, is a lack of why, right? So Mm -hmm. if I can't connect to the purpose of the change, I can't see why this is necessary to create value for a customer or a user and then capture some value, whether it be monetary or otherwise within the organization, mm-hmm. like why should I care? Right. And what, you know, what does it mean for me, right? Rather than corporate speak, that sounds cool and at a ticker box and an executive's KPI sheet, why should I care about this? What's the purpose? Yeah. Other things we see is a lack of involvement mm. or inclusion, right? Mm. So if I don't feel like I can influence this or I don't have any buy-in through connection, yeah, I'm not going to support or champion this. I'm going to resist. Mm-hmm. Right, because I don't get it. Uh, that's something we often see. Timelines. So when we're running our experience change workshops, we oh. give people a small amount of time to actually run through the process, and it's never enough, which is just the same in organizations, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say, was, I've never seen an organization that gives enough time. Often, it's always short. Exactly. So we've got a question, why do we do that? So if we mm. want to set people up for success, mm. let's be reasonable. We don't want to give too much time. Otherwise, we, we just take the time. Mm. But we've got to have a fair amount of time. And, and do we have a feedback-rich environment that would allow people or encourage people to say, hang on, time out? Mm. I think we can get a better outcome if we do things differently. Mm. There's a bit of the um, planning fallacy in that too. Have you heard of that one where people kind of are over-optimistic about how quickly they'll be able to do things and so on? and. 100%. Like I can run a 10 second 100 meters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's a lot, it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, right? yeah. You're in the Olympics if you're doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's it is really important that people want to impress their manager. Mm. Uh, and those defensive styles are not going to help you to be effective at actually making change stick. Mm. And, and let's be fair and reasonable to people. And who's going to put their hand up and mm. say, actually, I think that we need to do this differently? Mm. Far better to extend by a month than to plow on and stick to program and fail. Or, yeah, produce a 60% solution or something that's not really solving the problem that we were setting out to do in the first place. Well, that's right. And, and you, then you can ask, well, why does that happen? But what we often see within organizations is that we don't provide the space, the, the time space, as well uh, as the headspace uh, and the resource to do this, right? So, uh, hey, Dom, let's just do this change project. Great. But do it on top of your BAU. Yeah. Classic, Right. And not just the change team, but all the people implementing the change as well. They're not usually not given any kind of space to actually put it into action. It's just, yeah, Darren, we know you're busy. Here's an extra couple of things to do as well. And it's always those people, right? Yeah. And it's the same people. Yeah. You go to the same people because, you know, they're reliable and, you know, they're high performers and whatever. Yeah, that's right. And we, we often see that when organizations ask us, you know, success stories, case studies that we have around culture transformation. What's their secret? Mm. And if we could package it into a pill, we would sell that. But Mm -hmm. there is a bit of a secret behind it. It's about, well, if you're looking to make this happen, how do you make the space for that to actually work? So if it's important, you'll resource it. Mm. But if it's not, you won't. And that sends a really clear message. Mm. So on some of those big culture change programs that we've seen, you have dedicated sponsorship, dedicated change leaders, Mm -hmm. people 100% backfilled 
to actually work on this because this is critically important to us. Mm. Not the, when you've got a spare moment, have mm. a look at that. Mm. So if it is important and critically important strategically for your organization, make it so. Right. So it sends a message as much as anything about the importance, let alone people actually having the time to do a good job. <laughs> yeah. And a big part of that is, as an organization, are we ready? for the change, so that level of understanding. Mm. Then there's the willingness to step into that. So how's our motivation? Are we up for this, right? Mm. And then the ability. And and too often we focus on the tools and processes and and getting people trained up, but we're not addressing those other human challenges that we have Mm. around readiness and willingness. Mm. There's a difference between project management and change management. What are those Mm. felt needs that we have as individuals through the change process? What are those impacts? How will this work for me and the, the team that I'm working in? Why should I be motivated to, to make this shift? Then mm. there needs to be that. It's not a what's in it for me, but really think about what does it mean for me and my team. Yeah, right. Okay. So what, what, is there anything else that gets in the way of these organizations doing change? So what can happen is it's, you could say it's a perfectionistic streak in organizations to kind of say, yeah, let's shift the goalposts halfway through. Uh-huh. we're going to pivot and do this now. And sometimes we need to do that, mm. but often we don't give enough time to persist and to demonstrate that change and to experiment and learn as we go. So let those people actually finish off their work because too often we get to a point where we're starting to get there, but mm. then we're on to the next thing. Mm. And then the f- fingers get pointed at folks around why that didn't work. It's your fault. It's my fault. What, whatever's going on. But actually let them, let them succeed. And really important one we can't forget, celebrate success right? Yeah, huge. Don't assume that people know stuff is working. We work in large organizations that are not as connected as they could be. So sometimes we need to share that and tell great stories. Stories are what stick in our minds, right? And we'll remember that next time and make sure that we consolidate those learnings. We just don't do that enough. That's a big one for me. There's often a big, you know, a big hoo-ha or whatever when you start a project, Yeah, right? It's like a big thing. Oh, we're launching this new initiative, you know, communication, communication. And then sometimes we actually deliver successful, you know, it could be a successful delivery of this new initiative, but it's a fade out rather than a celebration, right? It's often a fade out. And so you kind of don't take stock of, hey, actually, we knocked this thing out of the park and it kind of energizes you for the next one. Mm. Rather, you get that feeling of this never ending cycle because it never finished. You know what I mean? And that's often the case. And and that's really demotivating, especially to the people involved. It's Mm. like... We don't want to be working on the stuff if it doesn't make an impact. Mm. And we want to know how, what impact that's making. And sometimes we need to point that out, whether it be through visuals or whatever conversations we need to have mm-hmm. to say, well, we've got a level of commitment and belief in the organization that if we need to change, we can do a good job of it. Otherwise, you're making some big assumptions mm. uh, about what people take note of because everyone's busy, right? So how do we let people see, truly see what's going on? Because for some of us, we need to see it to believe it, and some of us need to believe it to see it. You yeah, need to right. appeal to both. <laughs> yeah, and that goes, I guess, for the people in the project team maybe who are doing it, but also all the people who are affected by it and all that stuff. Celebrate the success. Close the loop. Totally, and it doesn't mean a whole lot of grog and a big party. That could be part of it, but it's about acknowledging the work that we've done. So recognition more than reward. Mm, mm. Yeah. Which is the R people often forget about. They go straight to the reward. Totally. So if those are the things that are kind of getting in the way, what what are the key things we should be doing to avoid fatigue? So if fatigue's bullshit and we can do change better, what does better change look like? Yeah, so we want to move from that fatigue to some some energy, some vitality, some energy around it. So it's one of those ones that 
measure twice, cut once, right? Uh-huh. So spend more time in the alignment phase up front. Uh-huh. So when we're initiating the change, truly seek to understand and aligning around the problem. Uh-huh. So we need to make a change, but what's the problem or the opportunity that presents itself? And do we have a, a key understanding of what that looks like? Have we had conversations with people across the organization, not just senior leadership, right down to the, the, the shop floor as it were about what is going on for you? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are those you know, weak signals or those, those micro noises that come out that they're not loud yet, but if we leave them, they're going to get very loud. Right. So we want to seek to understand. Future problems and stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and the more that we do that, people are involved at the outset rather than when they need to do something later on and they're kind of like, what's this all about? Yeah. Why right. should I care? Yeah. So that would be one of the first ones of that involvement up front. So early involvement and it sounded like getting people clear on that we all agree on what the goal is and so on, what we're actually trying to achieve here. Totally. So we want quantitative data. We want the qualitative. So we want to have conversations. We want to potentially create a bit of a force field analysis of what are the driving forces for change in the organization? What's potentially restraining us? And what we tend to find in most organizations is, which is quite funny, actually, the driving forces for change are all rational. We've got the data. We know what we're doing. But the things that slow us down are the emotional, the covert, or the cultural aspects that restrain us. So our own insecurities due to the threat of potential change. Those are the things that slow us down. Yeah, which makes sense, right? There's a rational reason for change. Otherwise, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Because it must serve some kind of purpose that you're trying to achieve. And those on a rational level, outweigh any downsides of it. So it's not the rational stuff that gets in the way. It's the emotional stuff because you're changing people's jobs. You're changing this. That's it. I'm attached. That was the process I put in place and now you're changing it or whatever it is. So a lot of the messaging people do, and I don't know if you're going to get to this. I might be stealing your thunder, but a lot of of the messaging people do is often aimed at that rational level Mm. rather than addressing that some of the emotional stuff. It's like, here's why we're changing. That's it. We're going to earn five times more profit or whatever. So that, that awesome. communication is super important. So we need to inform people for sure, mm. Mm. but we also need to inspire them, mm. right? So it's at the head, heart, hands, feet type mm-hmm. of conversation, right? We know your audience. So it might be, hey, actually the rational stuff, you know, we're evidence-based. We need to see that first. So the absence of that means I'm not going to pay attention. So you might lead with that, but still at, at the core, we want to be inspired by something. We want to be energized and excited by that. And too often, if we don't take the time at the start, we won't know what those buttons are. Yeah, right. So we need to have that empathy with folks, you know, and that, that word comes from empathos, which in feeling. So you might get the change and be committed to that, but do you really know what the impact could be for everybody else that has to actually do it and will be more affected by it than you if you're a senior leader in an organization? Mm. So that, that initiation piece is, is really important. So speaking of people across the organization, the next thing would be around the stakeholders. Okay. Do we know who our champions are? Who's going to be helpful and be that courageous first follower? Uh-huh. Where are our bystanders, right? Which are the majority of folks in any change initiative? Uh, kind of on the fence. If it works, I'll support it. Yeah, right. I'm going to see which way the wind's blowing. That's on the one. one. Yeah. And depending on how your culture is, if it doesn't work, I'll tell you so. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I knew right. that would happen. And right. then we have a, a bunch of people that potentially are resistors. So we want to know who they are, where they are, and then help us to then craft communications that are going to appeal to those and make sure we spend our time less so on the resistors and more so on the bystanders. So I was going to ask you that because a lot of people talk about putting resistors in the change team because if you can, if you can convert them, then you, know, you can convert <laughs> anyone and they're on board. What, what's your take on that? Again, you're going to need to know your audience. So 
across that change team, we want a good representation of expertise, seniority, influence. Uh, in New Zealand, we'd say mana, which is that kind of respect that you don't need to be the, t- the top dog, mm. but you might lead no people in terms of direct reports. But who's that person that when they say something, everyone listens mm. and then they can get people moving. You want them on the team. So if that person ticks those boxes off, but maybe cynical or suspicious, maybe that's okay. Mm. But if they're so far to that one side of resistance, are they going to start to sabotage those team mm. meetings? Mm. Are they going to use some passive aggressive behaviors that are not going to be helpful? Because the dynamic of that team is super important to, for the outcome. So you really want to have a, a clear and, and deliberate conversation about who's helping this to move this forward, or at least going to ask some good challenging questions because otherwise groupthink takes over and this is a great idea and then it's not. Yeah. So yeah, time spent up front. Yeah. So it depends a little as well. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're mapping the stakeholders and stuff. What else should we be doing? So once we've got great sponsorship, sponsorship, the research shows is really clear. We don't have active, visible uh, mm. sponsors that don't overreach. Think of it like the board and the management team. Uh-huh. Sponsorship is governance, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not meant to be there to do the work for you, but to ensure that we support that work to be get done. The analogy I use is like that weird sport, maybe not weird, interesting sport called cur- curling. So you've got <laughs> it depends the, where you're from in the world. It That's does. a uh, mainstream sport. It's one of the, those ones that you start watching, you're like, I just can't take my eyes off it, but I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, the analogy is with that, you've got the stone, the person's crouching down and they're sliding that along the ice. Uh-huh. The sponsor is the person sweeping. So we want to sweep to speed things up when it's required, but sometimes it's just best to let us stand back and let things happen. Uh-huh. So take out those roadblocks or speed things up as appropriate but don't overreach. Yeah, right. Okay, so then we want to have an active change leader, a person that's leading that change forward with a diverse team that can challenge and support each other that have constructive behaviors to make sure they get the best outcome on behalf of the organization. So once we have that, then we need to be really clear about what's our vision for this change, right? Too often we skip this because Uh we have this kind of bias towards expedience and action. So we want to jump from, hey, we've got a team. We better be seen to be doing something. Yeah, right. Go, go, go. Let's do it. But actually, we want to do the, the right things at the right time. So what's our tangible vision for the future? Not all this puff that we put complexity around to make ourselves look smart. Mm-hmm. But so people are quite clear on what we're needing to achieve here. And that, again, reinforcing that why for change. Mm. If we don't have that, we can't expect people to get behind it. Yeah, because what's the point? Yeah, fair enough. I don't know why I'm changing, right? So really ensure that that's, that's out there. And once we've got that there, we've got a level of alignment about the why and, and what's happening and who's involved, then we want to engage the organization. Uh-huh. So as we talked about before, communication, communication, communication. And I love the, the George Bernard Shaw quote of the greatest danger with communication is the illusion it has been done. <laughs> yeah, right? I like that. Yeah. And we've got to question what the purpose of communication is. And often we think it's transmitting information or sharing or a shared understanding. That's the start of it. But if there's no expectation for a change in behavior or some sort of action, then that's not communication. Mm, okay. So tell me more about that because that's, that's maybe different than I was even thinking about it. So, you know, I, I think of communication in a project sense is often, yeah, you know, this is what we're going to do over the next month, you know, keeping people informed. This is why we're doing it kind of stuff. What would you add to that? So there would be a step before that. Yeah, uh-huh. I would say, think about the motivation type of communication. Mm-hmm. So if there's, if there's a burning platform, help people to see it. Mm. But sometimes we're in a sense of denial around, no, it'll sort itself out. That's happened before. It'll Mm. go away. Mm. That disruption's not happening to us. Mm. And then we disappear. We've seen this in organizations. Some of our favorite brands no longer exist, right? Mm. So 
we got to show that burning platform. If there isn't a burning platform, don't light one. It's okay. Be <laughs> real with that. But how do you create a, a level of dissatisfaction with the status quo? So mm-hmm. people get a sense of, we really need to move on this. Mm-hmm. If we don't, I don't like the outcome. So if we don't do something, what might happen or what won't happen because mm-hmm. of that? So this is the inspire piece of the communication before mm. we go to the inform. Mm. So we'd lead with that first. So this is another reinforcement of why we need to do this now and why we really need you in the organization and collectively the you to help us to do that. And so sometimes we talk about the burning ambition, yeah. right? So, so you might not have the burning platform that oh, it's going to be a disaster if we don't do this, you know, if we don't jump or whatever. Yeah. But what could we be, right? What could we be? Wow. Exactly. and. As humans, we would pr- rather go towards something that we would like to see, uh, mm. towards that you know, effective outcome or that value creation or that new learning for me, mm. rather than away from threat. Mm. But if there is a threat, be real with it. And then mm. if you can mm. flip that into a burning ambition, fantastic. But what's going to appeal to people? So that motivation needs to go to how can you make a difference? Yeah, so this, is, yeah. this is something meaningful for you, right? Or this will help you help somebody that you care about, whether it be a mm. customer or your colleagues, whatever that might mm. be. So it's making it real for people in their actually daily work, daily life kind of stuff. Totally. And you know you've done a good job of that. If people are like, I get it, that's awesome. What are we going to do next? Yeah, right. If they're not, if they're think, not there. think about what, what else you can do. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. What else What else should we be doing, Darren? So when we go through change, certainty is obviously a challenge, right? And we know from the SCARF model, uh, being the C in SCARF, that certainty some of us like more of that than others, and some of us are okay to lean into ambiguity. So that, that communication really, as much as possible, gives some certainty about when are things happening, how are you getting involved, what are our expectations, what are our goals and targets, what do we want, what, what does good look like? I think too often in organizations we, we miss that. We kind of have an expectation or an assumption that people know what good would be like. So how do we know that we can get that level of feedback from the job that we're nailing it? Mm. So when I bake the cake, or do we talk about the pavlova? Maybe that's a bit too ah. controversial with two Kiwis in the room. Oh, you're that, starting it now. That New Zealand invented. I know if the pav has worked because it's looking good. If it doesn't, I don't need Dom to come and tell me that failed. So uh-huh. how do we get to the place where people know what to look for, that we are seeing changes that, that are actually happening? Mm. Because otherwise we can get a bit despondent when we ask our people, hey, is this working? No, I haven't noticed it. Mm. But how, how are they meant to notice it if they're not told? or explained or involved in the way of finding how to do that oh. uh, is really important. And of course, you've got to scratch the itch and do something, right? There is that. Yeah, yeah. sure. You've got to actually do something. Yep. We need to take some action, uh, of course, but it's how we go about doing that. So you can t- we can take a leaf out of the design thinking book and have an experimental mindset. Mm. So too often we want to deliver all of the thing right now. Mm-hmm. So well, how might we prototype this? How could we pilot something? Experiment to learn evolve our thinking around the change, then to validate and fully roll out. Yeah, Again, that expedience factor, we need to go faster. Be careful of that, right? We want to get there, but we want to get there well. So we want to learn through doing. Mm. And failing fast is, is a good thing to do so we can succeed sooner. But failing fast and relatively small is a good way so to go. So before we've invested $100,000 in this thing. Totally. Or whatever it is, let's do a little prototype, see if it works or not, or maybe we miss, we miss some huge you know, factor. Totally. So I think that's really important about, yep, we're wanting to, to build the thing, but what are the, the steps that we can take that allow us to get there? And again, celebrate when we're doing well and when we're not, how are we learning from that? Yeah. So would you do that like celebrating along the journey as well or just at the end once you take them up? Along the way, for sure. It has to be authentic. So do it with integrity. I think we can overdo it and then it has no meaning. 
but the small wins, celebrate that because people like to know we're making progress, right? So if you're going to the gym and you're looking to lose 10 kgs or add 10 kgs, depending on what you're after, the small things count, right? You're not going to wait until you've done it. Uh, hey, uh, it, was a, it was a kg over the last month. Fantastic. Feels good. Keep going. Uh, so it, it enables that momentum. We want to you know, keep that meaningful motion going that if you're not celebrating that, the ones not involved are not going to realize. So why should they care when it's now being rolled out to everybody? So you, you kind of want to build the sense of, hey, when's it going to be out in? Yeah, right. You know, imagine that you're rolling out a new ERP system or technology platform and everyone's excited about it rather than, oh, no, not again. Yeah. Right? And I have seen that, yeah. right? Some changes where it's like, yeah, suddenly they see this other team getting it's like, oh, we want in on that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's a draw, then suddenly it's a pull. And that's really, you know, what we want to do to get away from the fatigue is that change can be exciting. If you think about your journey for us as we, we go from being little ones to growing up through school and moving into adulthood. We change all the time and we can, it can be really, really exciting. If it's done by us, way more exciting than if it's done to us, right? Uh-huh. And using a method to do that really helps people to get excited about it and build energy in the workforce rather than, oh, here we go again. So we need to do those sorts of things. And, and that's where you really kind of want to wrap up your, your change processes to consolidate that learning and, and to make sure we, we, we make the change actually stick into the organization and not kind of float away and be one of those two thirds that just don't work. So what's our reflective process? What's our after action review? Mm. Those lessons learned so we don't repeat past wrongs. And make sure we finish that off before we really truly start the next one. Mm. You know, you're Close climbing, it. Yeah, yeah. You're climbing that mountain. Yeah. Crack a beer at the top and look back down and say, look what we've achieved. We climbed it. We knocked the bugger off. That's the as one. As Hillary would say. So many Kiwi references. It's <laughs> too good. <laughs> and it's an important to do that. Otherwise, you know, how do you build the energy for the next mountain that we've got to climb? So uh, truly take the time and space to do that. I think we rush through those things too much. And so you're, you're in town. Those are awesome tips, Darren. I, I love it. And, and you're in town at the moment doing an accreditation and experience change. Yes. Which is a simulation we, we run and you're a master trainer and which is really around the thing I love about experience change is it gets you, you can actually practice doing a change program in a day. It's a year-long training program, but you get to do it in one day. That's the one. And so it's that it's closing that learning learning action loop yes. that you talk about is that you get to do that in a kind of condensed period. Adults learn through a process of inquiry and discovery, right? Mm. So too often we just think people should get it, but sometimes mm. you need to fail or you need to go through a process to go, actually, I don't know as much as I thought. And then I'm much more receptive to the learning. And so then people want to build to that success factor to say, actually, this stuff works. I've seen it happen. Rather than I could share a story or show you a video, go, oh, yeah, but that's somebody else. But mm, when you've actually had mm. your, your hands on it and your fingerprints it's on different. it, it's very different, right? Mm. And the fact that it's a, it's a case that you can, most organizations can relate to really well in terms of the context of it, some of the personas yeah, yeah, as yeah. part of the stakeholders, people are like, oh, am I really like him? Am I more like her? Like, huh. I've got one of them in my organization. It's pretty cool, right? Because you interview yeah. people and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's very cool. And they talk back. And they talk back. It's a very cool, very cool simulation. Final question for you. What's your take on, there's lots of different change models out there, right? So, you know, there's ProSci, there's Adka, there's Lewin, there's all sorts of change models. Which one's the best? Yeah, it's a good question, right? So without wanting to sound like I'm going, it depends. My view is actually a bit more simple than that. Yeah. Pick a model. If it's Cotter, if it's ProSci, if it's Lewin, if it's Bridges, whatever. Pick an evidence-based one, and those are, they're all positive stuff in, in each of those. But the main thing is user model. Uh. 
And we see this in the experience change simulation where people come in knowing models, but they get into the sort of cut and thrust of it under pressure, working with some other folks, and then they don't use it. Mm, throw it out the window. Throw it out the window. The resources are gone. And, and we've had some change experts and professors of change just not be able to apply that knowledge. So I think it's as much as knowing, but having the reflexes to do that. So my view is pick one, have a common language around that, make sure people understand what we actually mean by each of those steps, not what it says on the tin, mm. and then give them experiences, applying them to see how it actually works. That They're all good ones. And I think just use one. Yeah, love it. Yeah, so it's not about which one, it's about using the one you have. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we, we don't do that well. And, no, we uh, don't. We don't utilize whether it's tools, resources, and also expertise. We've got to kind of, in a way, get over ourselves that you, know, you have that support there, use it. Mm. Too often we ignore it. Yeah, love it. All right, Darren, that's given us lots to think about. I hope that helps people out there talking about this change fatigue. No right. such thing. It's about how we do it. It is. Yep. We can all make change fatigue bullshit. Yeah, we can make I love it. Let's end on that note. Thanks for coming <laughs> in. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.